This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. I'm Bill Nygut. Today, with one year to go until the 2024 election, a New York Times poll has dismal news for President Biden and Democrats in Georgia and other key states. We'll explain. I'm Tia Mitchell. There is a growing split among many Americans over the unrelenting Israeli military attacks on Gaza, which are killing many civilians. Plus, the state Supreme Court may have thrown a new obstacle into the establishment of a district attorney oversight body. These topics and more with our guest Sam Olins, former Attorney General of Georgia, and Michael Thurman, CEO of DeKalb County. We invite you to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. Tia Mitchell, we had two weeks of you here with us in Atlanta in person over the weekend. You went back to Washington, where, of course, you are the AJC's Washington correspondent. Is it okay to be home? We miss you here, Tia. I miss you guys already, but I am glad to be back at home, back sleeping in my own bed, um, unveiling, unwrapping all the toys the AJC sent me home with so that I can broadcast to all of our great listeners (laughs) from D.C. From the closet that you have broadcast from. (laughs) Yes, I am back in my closet. Well, um, you already have a lot to cover, as we'll discuss a little bit later in the podcast, you uh, we have another fight brewing. Marjorie Taylor Greene is once again going after Rashida Tlaib for anti-Semitic comments. And um, what we'll talk about certainly in the days ahead, we have a government shutdown looming if uh, the House can't get its act together and pass a spending bill. Yeah, we're in the two-week countdown. Government funding runs out November 17th. And... Um that's barring some some deal to create another stopgap uh, funding plan um, because it's very unlikely that they'll pass long-term funding. So they're going to need a short-term agreement or there will be a shutdown in less than two weeks. And you'll be watching the Georgia, especially Republican delegation, and the new speaker, Mike Johnson, to see how he handles all of that. Uh, But let's move forward with today's podcast. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. My colleague Tia Mitchell is with us today. Tia, we've had you in Atlanta for the last two weeks. You're now back in Washington, where, of course, uh, you cover uh, the the Hill and uh, other Washington news. How does it feel to be back home, Tia? I miss you guys already, but I'm back in D.C. I'm back recording from my closet. So (laughs) we're going to we've got Politically Georgia live from Washington now. Uh, Tia, how much mail was piled up and waiting for you after two weeks away? 
I think it's really funny that you assume that I'm responsible enough to have checked my mail <laughs> since I returned. And um, I'm going to have to uh, admit that I have no idea okay. um, how much mail is in that mailbox. All right. Well, uh, good luck on sorting through everything. Um, we have a really wonderful uh, uh, conversation, I think, ahead of us today because um, two terrific guests. We're going to be joined by Sam Olins, who is the former Republican Georgia Attorney General. He ran as a Republican for two terms, won both of them. Before that, Sam was uh, the chair of the Cobb County Commission, where he received great praise from most people who dealt with him because he always worked in a bipartisan manner, people would say, for the betterment of the county. And he is now Back in private practice as an attorney at Denton's. Uh, Sam, we're so glad to have you with us today. Thanks for being here. Well, it's my honor to be with you today and especially to be with uh, my uh, brother, Michael Thurmond. Well, you know, I'm glad you said that because one of the reasons we've always liked hearing conversations between the two of you is that one of you at least traditionally was a Republican, Sam. Uh, Michael Thurman, you've been a Democrat your entire life, and yet you have always worked together collegially. You talk about issues respectfully, and uh, so it's really great to have you with us. Michael Thurman is currently the CEO of DeKalb County, but has had a long career in public life going all the way back to his days as a young member of the Georgia House from Athens. How old were you when you won that House seat uh, back in the day, um, Michael? I was about 19. No, I'm kidding. I was 29 because I lost my first two races. So I was a relatively mature young man. <laughs> Michael Thurman went on to hold a number of posts, including uh, becoming the first black candidate to win a state constitutional office without having been appointed to it uh, first. And that was when you became labor commissioner. You went on from that position to uh, many other jobs, including overseeing for a time the Department of Family and Children's Services. You came in to the DeKalb school system at a time when they needed someone who could try to fix problems. You were appointed to try to turn that system around. And um, you have been DeKalb County CEO now for going on six years? Uh, seven. Seven. And, and we should also add, Michael, you are a historian and an author. And in fact, you have a new book coming out in February, James Oglethorpe, Father of Georgia. Mike, what made you want to write about James Oglethorpe before we get into the politics of today? I've always been fascinated by him. And during a trip to England in 1996 to celebrate the 300th anniversary of his birth, I read a, a sentence on his memorial plaque that said he was a friend of the oppressed Negro. So I've spent the last 27 years trying to determine as to whether or not that was hyperbole, hyperbole, or was in fact true. And the subtitle is A Founder's Journey from Slave Trader to Abolitionist. Um, he, in fact, did found Georgia as an abolitionist county, uh, uh, colony, correct? Uh, anti-slavery colony. Yeah. And throughout his life, he advocated against Georgia was the only one of the 13 original colonies where slavery was prohibited uh, prior to the Revolutionary War. Tia, you have a history with uh, Chairman 
uh, Thurman, you covered him in your early <laughs> days at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. That's right. I was the AJC's DeKalb County reporter. That's what brought me to Atlanta in the first place. And Michael Thurman was, he taught me a lot. And he um, would give me a hard time sometimes. He required me to make sure I was thorough he required me to make sure I understood. And if he didn't think I understood, he wanted a conversation to help me understand. <laughs> and um, but I thought and, and quite frankly, he required me not in a malicious way, but he required me to work to earn his respect. And so it wasn't always uh, fun times covering Michael Thurman, but he really did teach me a lot about, you know, as a journalist, he required me to um, make sure I was dot every I, cross every T. Right, Michael, well, look, Bill, can I say how proud I am of Tia Mitchell when I see you hosting uh, C-SPAN and, and, and appearing on CNN and MSNBC and all the other national channels, I just beam with pride. But you you are one of the most talented young journalists I have ever met. And uh, I'm proud, but not surprised with your success. All right, Michael Thurman. Well, thank you. Michael Thurman pays tribute to the young reporter who we gave so much grief to when she was starting off her career at the AJC. Let's get right to it. We got a lot to talk about on today's show. Tia, um, big news in national politics over the weekend when the New York Times Siena College released their 2024 presidential election poll, which shows Donald Trump leading President Biden in Georgia and four other key battleground states, um, and the crosstabs on this poll reveal that Biden has really plummeted in support among young voters. He is losing some more support among black voters, Hispanic voters. These are very troubling signs uh, for uh, Biden. The New York Times says that here in Georgia, their poll showed that he's behind Trump by some six points. Of course, we all know Tia, a poll's a snapshot. There's a year to go, but this is not good news uh, for the Biden campaign or for Democrats in Georgia. Right. And I think I'm glad you said those caveats that we're hearing from the Biden campaign, from prominent Democrats, most of them saying, you know, a poll a year out doesn't really tell us much. Um, and quite frankly, think about polling a year out from the presidential contest um, four years ago. Think about Biden. Think about polling a year out from the presidential contest eight years ago when, you know, Trump was not the front runner a year before he ran, before he won. Um, that being said, it is troubling. I think that what the polls tell us, and we have that in today's jolt about some of the crosstabs, is that Biden is some of the coalition that Democrats have relied upon um, minorities, young voters, uh, people of color. Um, it's not as firm as I think any Democrat would want to see at any point in the race. Sam, you um, traditionally were a Republican for much of your public uh, career. You ran as a Republican. 
and um, and you supported many Republican mainstream Republican values throughout your career. You made it clear some time ago that uh, the Donald Trump Republican Party and the way in which Trump has moved the party so far to the right is no longer a party that you can have much to do with. But so I'm interested when you see these numbers, um, what you think about the fact that Trump still seems to be holding on to such a strong base of support in Georgia. So first, Bill, uh, I'm not sure I agree with your characterization that he moved the party further to the right. I think Trump's a whole different entity. And I think left and right don't really work well with him a lot of times. Um, Do I think he's an extremist? Yes, but that's not necessarily on the polar axes of left and right. Um, As a general statement, I certainly agree that a poll a year out is not worth much. But when it's on the same two people that ran against each other last time, if I were a Democrat, I'd be really, really nervous about that poll. What I also find very interesting is if you put a no-name Democrat against Trump, the no-name Democrat is way ahead of Trump. So from my perspective, what it tells us is the Democrat would be in really good shape to win re-election if it weren't the incumbent. Um, Sam, I just want to follow up on what you said. What you're suggesting is that it's not about Trump having moved the Georgia party to becoming more conservative. It's about MAGA being an entirely different universe from conservative or progressive. That's what you're really saying. But you do have to say that the state Republican Party has certainly become far more MAGA-oriented than you would like it to be. No, I I agree 100%, Bill. But let's face it, if Ronald Reagan were on the ballot this year, they'd call him a bleeding heart liberal. (laughs) Mike Thurman, this is not good news for Democrats. And when you see in the New York Times poll, and by the way, uh, the AJC has a poll later this week which will be much more laser-focused just on Georgia. So the crosstabs in our poll, I think, are going to be particularly interesting. Nevertheless, the New York Times poll across battleground states shows that Trump is winning something like 22% of black voters a year ahead of the election. Well, first, it is early, as Tia pointed out, but something Sam just said that uh, a generic Democrat crushes Trump. So what you're really seeing is that there is a segment of the Democratic Party at this point in time who would like to see someone else, right? But once you pass this period where Joe Biden is the nominee, then it becomes a choice between Joe Biden and Trump. And I think those people who would like to see another Democrat will then be forced to make a choice between President Biden and former President Trump. And I don't see them supporting uh, Mr. Trump in that scenario. Final thing is, it's what uh, Carville said. It's the economy, stupid. What you're really seeing is that inflation, as it always does as it relates to incumbent parties, is eroding support for the the, uh, party in power, particularly in the White House. Inflation is real. It's impacting real working people. And... Inflation has slowed, it's increased, but it's still with us and impacting the lives of everyday people. Kia, jump in. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think I wanted to the point that CEO Thurman made about eventually it looks like Joe Biden will be Democrats nominee. It's kind of late in the game for anyone else to jump in and nobody credible has jumped in to challenge Biden for the Democratic nomination. Historically, the Republican nominee has struggled with African-American voters. I went back, I was looking at the Roper Center at Cornell University. They have um, kind of um, how groups voted for every election. You got to go all the way back to Ronald Reagan's first election. Um, He got 14% of the black vote. It went down to 9% when he was a known quantity and was running for re-election four years later. But Every other Republican since then, both those who've won, like the Bushes, and those who lost, have struggled to get more than like 10 percent. So I, I I think that data point in this New York Times-Siena poll is one of the ones that kind of makes you wonder how much of an outlier this poll may end up being in the long run. Sam? So another way to look at that, Tia, is there may be um, a a significant number of Republicans and Democrats that frankly don't turn out, that they may not have any zeal in their choices. Mike? A great point. I think the bigger concern for Democrats as it relates to Black people or people of color is turnout. Is what Sam just said, lack of enthusiasm. And so what I'm encouraging, and I have been encouraging uh, Democratic leaders, particularly at the national level, is do not sit this one out. Uh, hit the, you have to not begin now to reach out to and engage and educate and inform, particularly voters of color, Black voters in particular, of the, of the successes that have been achieved by the Biden administration, and they are many, but also to put in context where we are with the economy. I, I, just, I can't emphasize it enough as to how much inflation is negatively impacting the quality of life of working class Americans, white, black, Hispanic, or other uh, nationalities who are struggling with inflation. And so we have to, at a minimum, continue to invest in strategies that mitigates it. But more importantly, we have to reaffirm to people who are hurting that we care, that we are a party who are concerned about the lives of everyday working class Americans. Um, Tia, let me play a soundbite actually from Stacey Abrams, who speaks to virtually exactly what Michael Thurman just mentioned. She was interviewed on MSNBC the other day, and she talked specifically about the, she believes, she, she says at the beginning of uh, the uh, uh, comments that we're going to hear before we start uh, uh, what we're going to play. She says she thinks Biden's been a, a wonderful president, accomplished a lot, but she continues on a vein much like in a vein much like what Mike Thurman just talked about. Let's listen. But we can't ignore the fact that people's lives are harder, and this is not because of the president. It is because of global issues and international challenges and market conditions and a whole host of things that don't matter to you when you're sitting at your kitchen table. But for elected officials and those of us who want to see people show up and vote and participate and reelect Joe Biden, we have to meet people where they are. They have baked in the successes they've seen. They need to know what's next. 
Tia, what's fascinating about that is it was Republicans who first talked about Bidenomics trying to uh, uh, smear the president for failures in the economy. They blame on him. Biden picked it up as a uh, as a flag of his successes with the economy. But in fact, all of the things that that Stacey Abrams just talked about, that Michael Thurman and Sam Olins know are happening with the economy, they're not breaking through on a positive economic message to you. part that has plagued the Biden campaign the most is that they're trying to make a an argument on his record and it's not resonating with voters yet. Now again, there's a year you can argue that the Biden campaign hasn't really been as active as it might as you get closer to election day. He's really been letting the Republicans fight it out. But the message isn't breaking through, and that's a fact. There are too many people who are citing the pocketbook issues, and they don't quite understand the role that Biden has or has not played in whatever they think is good. For example, the coronavirus, uh, re- the checks you received during the coronavirus, they think that's a Trump thing, or high gas prices, they might attribute that to Joe Biden. So he's just not really been able to benefit in ways that his supporters think he should. Uh, Michael, uh, just an an example of the problems that Democrats are facing right now in terms of President Biden is just this weekend, David Axelrod, senior advisor to President Obama, said, we need to find a different Democrat. Uh, We need uh, for President Biden to consider Retiring at the end of his first term, we need to find a younger, fresher candidate to run. When you hear somebody like an Axelrod say things like that, what do you think? He's a brilliant political strategist, but the reality is we have the candidate who we have. Whoever he or she is, young, old, uh, fresh or not, it's the message. It's what Tia is saying. Bill, we, we distributed 500 boxes of fresh fruits and vegetables around the cab at nine locations, Buford Highway, South DeKalb. Talk to the people in those cars, and they are black and white and Asian and Hispanic. These are people who are desperate. We don't get it. I'm fortunate. I don't understand it the way people who are struggling to put food on the table. But I'm just telling you, it's a real issue. And all all elected officials, Republican or Democrat, need to recognize that some of the issues we're focused on are really not the issues that people are most concerned about. I'll just be honest with you. It's about the pocketbook. It's about the economy, which is what uh, Carver said. And we are missing that. We've elevated, theoretically, some of the issues away from where average Americans are. And unless... Uh, Democrats, all you know, Republicans acknowledge it, they're, they're going to pay a price. Sam, a lot of this is ironic because Joe Biden has always seen himself and people have seen him as the the candidate of the people, the blue collar guy from Wilmington, Delaware, who understands and relates to ordinary Americans. Sam? Well, that may have been true before he became president. <laughs> I mean, frankly, he, you know, many of us have been astounded how progressive of policy his policies have been, especially in contrast to what he said during the campaign. Uh, I, I think another issue, you know, Mike talked about inflation and, and food. 
if you look around Metro Atlanta, uh, the number of folks facing eviction is still very, very high. Uh, the number of folks who don't have money to pay rent, um, th- that's about as, as serious an issue as you can have, whether you're you know, trying to figure out how to keep your family under a roof. And uh, th- that's still a very significant problem. Um, Tia, as we talk about President Biden's problems against Donald Trump. And again, the New York Times Siena poll shows Biden right now, a year ahead of the election, losing five of the six battleground states that are essential to winning the November election in 2024, which, by the way, is a year from yesterday, uh, Tia. But I'm interested, Tia, in what all of this sets up in terms of where Democrats and Republicans are going to head in state elections in 2026, because we're already watching, certainly on the Republican side, people lining up uh, or considering running for governor. And um, I'm just wondering how the 2024 election may shape what happens as we move forward in Georgia with state races. And I would also argue, you know, tomorrow is election day in several states. And so, that's going to be in, in in we have some municipal elections in Georgia nothing statewide in Georgia but tomorrow will help us to understand for example in a state like Virginia what is the balance of power in their state legislature and what does that show us as far as what voters are looking for there's an abortion referendum on the ballot in Ohio. What does that teach us? In Kentucky, my home state, there's a gubernatorial election with a popular Democratic governor in a red state. What does that show us about what voters are prioritizing? But you're right. We'll be looking for trends as we in Georgia look at some uh, a Senate race on the ballot, as well as the gu- gubernatorial race on the ballot. And um Since we have someone on the call who often is floated as a potential statewide candidate again, Michael Thurman, what are your thoughts? Would you run for governor, for example, in 2026? Oh, I thought that question was for Sam Olins. (laughs) (laughs) Michael Thurman, let, let, let me just set that up just a tiny bit. Stacey Abrams made it clear in this MSNBC interview that she thought her future in public life as a, as a candidate for office was still open and ahead of her. Um, and, and the question that I think Tia asks you is a fascinating one. If, for instance, Stacey Abrams said, yeah, I'm going to run for governor again, what would that mean in terms of your reflections on whether you, who've always suggested it's a job that you think you would maybe like to move forward on, what, what would all this mean? When I was growing up out in Sandy Creek in rural Clark County, Georgia, on my daddy's sharecropper farm, my mother would always say, son, don't ever get in front of yourself. So, <laughs> Mike, don't get in front of yourself. Focus on what you're doing. What I'm focused on right now is completing my term as CEO of DeKalb County. I love this job. I love my county, and I love the people who live here. Uh, once that's done, I'm going to rest. One of the things I, I counsel young leaders is don't make important decisions when you're tired. Uh, BLT, I, I can't really explain how draining it's been to be an elected official in a leadership position during a pandemic. Uh, I've been through many iterations of this career, but nothing like this. 
even just as past Saturday, just the anxiety and the fear that people are feeling. So once that's done and we can land this plane, uh, I'm going to rest. And then I'll be open to whatever opportunities are out there. You know, Denton may have an office vacant. There <laughs> I don't know. I can come be his assistant. But no, but you know, I love politics. I love Georgia more importantly. But, you know, I don't, I'll be honest with you, Bill, Tia, Sam, I don't like the politics that defines politics right now. It, it's not who I am. And um, I've said to Sam privately, I don't know, maybe politics has passed me by. I'm an old school kind of politician uh, where you get people who want to make a difference and improve the quality of life for the people who elect you. And, you know, I think one day somebody should, Republican or Democrat, or to create a room where you get the smartest people, the most dedicated people, the most concerned citizens in Georgia, and let's solve some of the problems that we have. All right. That's a terrific answer in many, many ways, philosophical and thoughtful. But you're not ruling out the fact that somewhere in the back of your mind, a run for governor is could be appealing to you. Oh, no, I don't rule anything out. Look, I'm, I was sitting at home one Saturday watching cartoons when I got a call to be the superintendent of school. <laughs> I had no idea I wanted to be a superintendent of a 100,000 student school district. Lee May called me out the blue and said, I'm not running for CEO. You want to be the CEO? I didn't plan on being CEO. I've reached a point in my life where you have to let forces greater than yourself dictate your next move. I spent most of my life, dear, trying to maneuver and get to the next election or position myself. And some point you have to stop thinking only about the next election. So, all right, what's best for the next generation? And if I have an opportunity where I can help Georgia be a better place, then I'm going to take it, whether it's being governor or being de facto director. All right. We've got to get to a break. Uh, we, I appreciate, Michael Thurman, your observations, Tia. Uh, what I heard was he's, his mind is open, so we'll keep track of Chairman Thurman as we get closer and closer to people starting to think about the 2026 races. In the meantime, you're listening to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Welcome back to Politically Georgia. I'm Bill Nygut. We think the Morning Jolt newsletter sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics, just like our WABE Politically Georgia radio show does. You can get the jolt in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can join the community now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. You'll get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts so you'll always know what's really going on. Tia Mitchell, uh, the Washington correspondent of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is with us. And we also have on the show today Michael Thurman, 
current CEO of DeKalb County, who, Tia, I just heard a minute ago say, well, you never know. I could run for governor. My mind is open. Yes, Tia? <laughs> he said it. You know, there's still a chance. Okay. We're also joined by uh, Sam Olins, former attorney general of Georgia, who is now an attorney. And uh, I want to move forward uh, with all of you to talk about what's been happening, especially in the past few days where things are building and building. There's been growing dissension over what some say is, Israel, is the Israelis' indiscriminate destruction of large swaths of Gaza in bombings that are killing thousands of non-combatants. Tia, we're seeing that tension in Congress and in the House particularly between uh, two people that we've talked about on the show before, one particularly, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who has just once again filed yet another censure motion against Rashida Tlaib. She lost a motion last week to censure Tlaib, claiming uh, that Tlaib is anti-Semitic. But over the weekend, Rashida Tlaib did Tia say that President Biden, who's was a very stark and distressing comment, President Biden is supporting the apartheid state of Israel. Tia, the fight between Tlaib and Green is just going to grow this week. Right. And Tlaib, I, to me, what was even more potentially problematic for Tlaib is she defended the use of the phrase from the river to the sea, mm. which, again, um, people who are pro-Palestine said that's just a rallying cry. But it's always, well, for a long time, I remember years ago, the conversation about that phrase and how it's widely considered anti-Semitic and essentially a coded way of saying you want the extinction of Jewish people. And um, so it's always, regardless of someone saying, well, this is how I interpret it, you can't ignore that it's been a controversial and divisive phrase for years. And so for a sitting member of Congress to say, I know the phrase is divisive and some Jewish people don't like it, but I'm going to defend my right to say it just generally isn't a good look. It kind of reminds me of what CEO Thurman said about how current politics, you know, um, those divisions are just more prominent and more common. And so I quite frankly think Marjorie Taylor Greene has a chance if this revised censure resolution gets to the floor, it will no longer accuse Rashida Tlaib of inciting an insurrection during that October 18th protest. Again, there were a lot of people who were arrested for being loud, for not following police orders to disperse, but there was no violence that day. There was no attempt to disrupt Congress that day, which is why a lot of people said this was nowhere near an insurrection. But now she calls it an illegal occupation, which is a much toned down phrase. Um, I Again, I think if it gets to the floor, she might get the votes to censure Tlaib. Now, what is a censure? It's basically it's less than a slap on the wrist. It's some the person, the member of Congress who is censured has to stand to the front and be told what they did wrong. And it's put on the record. But other than that, nothing really happens, which is why I think um, 
her resolution may pass. Green's resolution may pass. Of course, we should point out that uh, members of the U.S. House, Congress in general, very reluctant to vote to censure uh, a, a member. Um, and in this case, particularly, there are going to be questions about, as there were last time, um, her right, Rashida Tlaib's right to free speech. Tia, real And I will make one more point. Yes, historically, censure resolutions were not common. Under this current Congress, they've already censured someone this year. Right. That was Adam Schiff of California, who um, they didn't like how he talked about President Trump during the first impeachment. So, of course, Sam Olin's uh, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene has herself made remarks that many people in the Jewish community at least think are anti-Semitic. She blamed wildfires in uh, California at one point on space lasers being fired by members of the apparently the Rothschild family, one of the world's most uh, ubiquitous Jewish families. So uh, without going in, any deeper into Marjorie Taylor Greene's specific Uh, feeling about the Jewish people, Sam, this is a troubling time for Jews, for people who are Palestinian Americans. Israel's right to defend itself, almost everyone agrees, is uh, correct after the horrendous attacks uh, launched by uh, 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 Hamas. But there are now concerns, Sam, about just how massive the attacks are and how many innocent people are being killed in Gaza. So first of all, the discussion about Tlaib and Green uh, is a race to the bottom. The more time spent on either of them, the better. Um, What's been very, very troubling to me uh, are the universities in our country where the faculty and some student groups are openly supporting Hamas, openly talking about all Jews being colonialists, um, threatening, uh, at Cornell, threatening female Jewish students with rape. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, over over the edge entirely. Um, And just saying someone has a First Amendment right does not fully cover the issue. You know, Mahmoud Abbas, the president of the Palestinian Authority, years ago said that Hamas used ambulances um, for war um, activity. Uh, We all know that Hamas uses civilian locations, hospitals, etc. for war activity. That's by definition a war crime. But I don't hear many American popular uh, politicians, if any, talking about how there's a war, war crime on Hamas. And after 9-11, I didn't hear anyone stupidly say that the U.S. should have a ceasefire when they went after the, the folks who were responsible for approximately 3,000 lives lost in our country. Uh, clearly, every life is precious Attempts should be made to limit civilian injuries and deaths, both for Palestinians and Jews. But the sense I get is that never again has never been threatened as much as it is now. And many of our politicians are disregarding that concern. 
Sam, if I, if you don't mind, a couple of follow-ups to that. Number one, um, you're right. In the aftermath of 9-11, uh, the United States was not cautioned about its response. On the other hand, President Biden did say when he was in Israel that um, the Israeli government should take a lesson from what happened following 9-11, where the United States got into a quagmire in Iraq and Afghanistan, and he exer- he urged the Israelis to temper their rage and take military steps that didn't put them in the same posture, Sam. No, I, I don't disagree. But but frankly, when you have your military headquarters under a hospital, uh, I'm not quite sure what you expect Israel to do if the goal is, frankly, to eliminate Hamas. Uh, you're, you're either put in a situation where there continues to be this major terrorist group uh, or... Um, you frankly have a no-win situation, and that 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 doesn't condone any civilian lives being lost or injured. But it speaks to the fact that this is a terribly complex situation. Um, and I mean, you know, look, Bill, I've got friends in Israel. I've got hell of one of my friends that their sons in Gaza now mm. uh, as an IDF soldier. Um, there just aren't that many Jews. It's really pretty hard to not know folks that are affected in Israel. And I feel just as bad about the Palestinians that are affected. Um, But never shall we uh, think that this isn't a dangerous time for Jews and that many in the United States are overtly disregarding the danger. Tia, jump in. Yeah, I want to bring up, you know, we talked about this polling in the first segment, and I wonder how much of the strong reaction, perhaps the the Biden losses are because in the context of this Israel Hamas conflict, there is a lot of division among progressive Democrats, particularly who don't like that out the gate president Biden was so pro Israel, although he's tempered it so much. And we know that with younger Democrats for years, there has been more, um, wanting more nuance to the approach to the Israel-Palestine conflict. I wanted to ask CEO Thurman if you what you know what do you think Democrats should do to address the reality that particularly from the left of the party just being completely pro-Israel without um the sympathy and the acknowledgement of the long-standing conflict as it relates to Palestine has is becoming more of a losing message. A great question. Uh, I'm proud of the fact that the CAPS government was the first local government to publicly express support uh, for Israel. Uh, we had the consulate general to come and speak to us at a board of commissioners meeting. Uh, we raised the Israeli flag there uh, in front of Malou, and we recognized that. Three weeks prior to that, uh, we celebrated Muslim Heritage Month uh, in DeKalb County. DeKalb is one of the most diverse counties in the state. Uh, we have the largest, uh, one of the largest Jewish, particularly Orthodox Jewish populations anywhere in the Southeast. I spoke uh, to the rabbi of one of the largest synagogues in great detail about increasing police protection. So it's real, but it's something that... Uh, Sam talked about uh, with great passion. It's something I remember, Sam, I had the pleasure of spending, what, eight, 10 days in Israel right before the pandemic. What struck me was the compactness of this country. 
they are Arab neighborhoods, Muslim neighborhoods, Jewish neighborhoods. And in your mind, you think that there's a much greater distance between one from, but it's all there together. And it's an extremely challenging landscape to wage war uh, such as that's occurring right now. So two things, no one of goodwill or good mind uh, can justify the barbaric and horrific attack that Hamas carried out against Israel, against non-combatants, civilians. What we have to do in America is Michael, you're unfortunately you're, you're breaking up, Michael. We're having a little. Let me interrupt you, Michael, because we're suddenly having a little communication issue with you. I'm really sorry about that. We'll try to make sure we can correct that in a minute. But let me move to how this uh, uh, may have an impact here in the state of Georgia. Um, Sam Olin's. Uh, you, a couple of years back, uh, were one of the people, uh, one of the attorneys who worked down at the state legislature to assure the passage of the state's first hate crimes law. We were one of only five states that didn't have any hate crimes law uh, for many, many decades, and uh, you were a lobbyist in favor of passing it. As you well know, last session, Esther Panich uh, tried to pass a measure that would establish a definition for anti-Semitism that would make it uh, more uh, feasible as a as part of a hate crimes statute. Uh, she failed in the Senate. The question becomes now, Sam, whether you believe what's happening in Israel and the anti-Semitism that you talked about on college campuses here is going to, in fact, make it easier to pass that measure this time around. Passed in the House last session, failed in the Senate. Sam? You know, I'm not really sure. I mean, I'm, I'm not really sure. I think that um, there are still folks that um, believe that um, Jews aren't a minority, that don't believe that Jews need any protection. Um, and that's one of the things that scares me at, at the moment. So I, I'm not willing to um, say that it will now pass where it didn't last year. I, I think it's still a fluid situation. All right. We are late for our final break of the show, but I, I really would like to continue this conversation when we come back because I think it's so important. So let's do this. Let's get our final break out of the way. Back with more on the AJC's Politically Georgia. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Welcome back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. No media organization in Atlanta swarms politics like the AJC. We produce this podcast and the Morning Jolt newsletter, and now we have the new Politically Georgia PM Update newsletter. Make it your afternoon appointment to get caught up on what's going on while you're at work. You can get it in your inbox for free every weekday afternoon. 
Just go to AJC.com slash Politically Georgia Newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash Politically Georgia Newsletter. Michael, we had a little problem with your communication a minute ago, which we apologize for, but you um, wanted to make a couple of points about what's happening in this country as people react to the Israeli-Gaza confrontation. No defense of a terrorist attack against innocent people. Israel has a right to defend itself. We must not lose the distinction between the Palestinian people and Hamas, which is a terrorist organization. In any warfare, when participants engage, one of the basic humanitarian tendencies is you have to limit as much as possible injury or death to innocent civilians. That is basically the Geneva Convention, and no matter where it is, and in rage and in uh, uh, what your response, you have to be conscious of that fact as you defeat your enemy. Sam, um, to bring it back to Georgia, and frankly to you personally, because you just made some very passionate comments about what it feels like to you as a Jew in Georgia these days, um, dealing with the response to how Israel is um, launching, has continued to launch more and more massive attacks against Gaza. You have been very frank in the years since you left office as uh, attorney general about what it was like to be a Jewish candidate running statewide. And it was then, if at no other point in your life in Georgia, that you recognize that anti-Semitism certainly exists among people in parts of this state. Yes? Absolutely. But as an elected official, I tried to put my religion to the side. Um, Now I don't. Um, And in fact, it's actually interesting because the, the other day, I was walking on the Marietta Square and these two folks went up to me and said, uh, we're praying for Israel um, because after all the years that I was elected and all a lot of people associate me with being Jewish, um, which I thought was very nice and very sincere. Uh, And, you know, people don't understand that Jews can be black, they can be Asian, they could be Hispanic. They're, They're not all European Jews. And all people, I think, are suffering. I think Michael Thurman did a great job with his last comments uh, about the need for for caution. Um, but it is clearly a very troubling time, and uh, and I think many of us should be very concerned. The idea was that the United States was the safe haven, and stuff happened in Europe, but it would never happen here. Well, it is happening here. Michael and then Tia jump in. I don't know whether you heard it, but we are proud that the Cap County yeah. is the first local government yes. to raise the Israeli flag. We're very pr- listen as an African American uh, who understands American history, who understands discrimination and hatred and bigotry. I can't stand anywhere else but to support uh, Jewish people at this point when they are being targeted by terrorist groups. I just can't do it. I mean, that's the only logical, rational response I can have. Um, oh, Sam, I wanted to ask, we talked a little bit earlier about there that some folks are calling for a ceasefire, particularly from the left. Um, I would say the Biden administration has not gone that far, but there have been talks about humanitarian pauses, things like that to allow 
people to evacuate. Um, Senator Ossoff said something similar to us when he was on the show last week. Do you think that is more politically palatable to call for some type of agreement to let people get out so that it would reduce the number of civilian casualties? So, Tia, there, there is no bilateral agreement because Hamas isn't interested in any agreement. They themselves don't want a ceasefire. They have made it perfectly clear killing Jews every day is what they want to do. Now, having said that, Israel has afforded numerous uh, pauses on humanitarian grounds where they have stopped and encouraged Palestinians to have safe passage. So this whole idea about pauses without an agreement, Israel's already been doing it, uh, generally for four hours at a time. Who hasn't been interested in the discussion is Hamas because they're only interested in killing Jews. There's no one to talk to in in that regard. Um, When Bernie Sanders yesterday on national TV said that there's no one for Israel to talk to because Hamas just wants to kill Jews, that should have taught America's progressive wing a lesson. Michael, jump in on that. Yeah, we've lost Michael's audio. No, no, I'm here. It's just hard for me. You know, I'm not Jewish. I can't even imagine the heartbreak, the response that Jewish people are having with the history as we know it, with world history as we know it. But in the midst of this, uh, in our rage and disgust, we still have to remain compassionate and save as many lives, innocent lives as possible. That's all I'm saying. All right. So then, then, then what is the future? What, what, nobody has an answer to this. I understand. We're speculating here. But Sam, you, you first. Where is this headed? How does a war like this stop? Israel says it will not stop until it destroys Hamas. How do we know when that moment arrives and what comes next? Well, I think we know when it arrives, the the missiles will stop uh, crossing into Israel. So I think there's an obvious way to know it. The question is whether that's feasible. That's the big issue. But I think what we need to do more than ever is we need to be reaching out as Jews to the African-American community, to the Hispanic community, and yes, to the Muslim community, and express to them once again how precious each life is and how in the midst of this terrible war, we still need to treat people respectfully in this country. And we need to look for the silver lining every day and to not view people of different backgrounds as enemies. Sam Owens. Hamas wants the rage, and I'll just stop. That's what Hamas wants the rage. They want a spreading uh, conflagration. That's all the time we have for today's podcast. You can now hear Politically Georgia live on 90.1 WABE on weekday mornings at 10. Or look for Politically Georgia, as you already do in your favorite podcast app, sometime around 1 o'clock each afternoon. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review and share Politically Georgia with a friend. Join us again tomorrow for Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh, 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 oh,